a Pulp MX Network production. With your support of our sponsors, we have reached over 800 podcasts and counting. Click that Amazon banner on Pulp MX to help us out. Donate via Patreon if it suits you. And as always, support your moto addiction by buying from our sponsors. It's the Steve Mathis Show on RacerX.com. Presented by Fox Racing. The original moto podcast. Featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome, everybody, to the MotorcycleSuperstore.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing at MotorcycleSuperstore.com. If you go there, you punch in the code PB-PULP16, you will save on over their 700 trusted brands that they have. Do you speak moto? Because Motorcycle Superstore does. And, uh, of course, they're a big, great place to get anything you need for your biker body. And uh, they helped the Jimmy Albertson team this past year, and they'll be doing something else. Coming up, MotorcycleSuperstore.com. Use the code, save some money. And Fox Racing, foxhead.com. Visit your local authorized Fox dealer, the global innovation leader in motocross race for Ryan Dungey, Kenny Roxon, just some of the guys that wear Fox. And um, they're always doing some cool stuff uh, at Fox, releasing some LE gear. And, uh, and please, yeah, check it out, foxhead.com. Speaking of cool stuff and LE gear and everything else, uh, the man with me on the line, uh, marketing uh, director, marketing guru at Western Power Sports slash Fly Racing. They had just released some limited edition gear last weekend for the Monster Energy Cup. Dale Spangler. What's up, Dale? How are you? I'm doing really well. Just uh, getting through another week of work here mm-hmm. and looking forward to a nice weekend. Probably watch a little Red Bull straight rhythm tomorrow. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's always kind of fun to. In the off season, some of these different unique events to, to to be able to watch them, like Monster Cup last weekend, and yeah, straight pool. I've got I've got an Apple TV, so it's pretty sweet. You just turn, you know, yeah. able to stream that through the app. So yeah, I did it yeah. too. Yeah, it's awesome to do that. Um, yeah, but Dale, you don't understand. I'm the guy that has to cover all these things, so these more races aren't 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 good for me. <laughs> um, uh, hey, um, talk talking about that uh, LE gear. Uh, you got to win with um, the Moto Concepts Camera McAdoo. At the LE, at the Monster Energy Cup, you almost got a win with the uh, Handmaker Kid and the Super Minis on the tie dye fly racing LE stuff. So, yes. not a bad debut. Definitely, those kids definitely did an amazing job. I mean, it was so much airtime. You know, whether it was actually during the racing or the the post race interviews, I mean, they really gave us some exposure. And I think that's the way that race works. But like on the pro guys, it seemed like. Man, they showed like the top three or four, maybe you know, and like we really didn't see our riders much on that. So those guys saved us, those those young guns. <laughs> yeah. So it was really cool to see, and they both seem like really good kids. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's a good deal. Uh, you got an interesting career, whether it was racing pro and uh, putting in some good results. Uh, you worked for Smith Goggles for a time. You worked for Alpine Star for a little bit, and uh, even lived in Italy, and then now at Fly Racing. When did you start at WPS? I started in. 2007. So I'm in my 10th year now, and I just can't even believe when I say that. You know, it's just uh, time just keeps flying by. And, you know, just what I've seen in that 10 years with this company and with the Fly brand in particular, it's just uh, pretty incredible, really. Um, I was listening to your podcast the other day with Andrew and, you know, Shorty, and just hearing the stuff he had to say, too, you know, it was really kind of fun to hear that and just having been through some of that. Um, 
Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Uh, that podcast was cool because I just think that, you know, like the more I think about it, like that guy's just been with us for, yeah. Know, it's kind of yeah. unprecedented. Like there's not many athletes that spend pretty much their entire career with one brand, mm-hmm. which is, this says that much more about him. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. When I think of Fly, you think of uh, the Tim Ferry helmet. He kind of was the first guy to be paid to wear it. David Villeman yep. wore the gear uh, for a year at Yamaha. And then, of course, JT wore it, Subway Honda and, 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 uh, and teams like that. Man, and when you, when you count Fly Racing and then when you count WPS, I don't know if there's a gear company or a distributor that's come on more in the last half a dozen years than fly and and wps it's been crazy the gains you guys have made the market share you guys have gotten and i come i'll tie that into uh it's all it's all because of you dale and your marketing and your uh ads and everything else so go tell craig that (laughs) (laughs) yeah maybe i'll have to have a sneak a copy of this uh or a direct link into his inbox yeah yeah, there you go (laughs) um it's killing it though you guys are doing a great job for reals yeah the gears come a long way helmets and everything else uh, um it's uh it's definitely uh from when it started like shorty was saying it's uh it's come a long way it's kind of like it just has like that snowball effect though like i've mm-hmm. noticed it seems like i mean just my department of marketing um i mean i was hired for i wasn't even hired for marketing actually i was hired i went went to boise state here and in, and in, in idaho at 35, always wanted to get a college degree, so I went, went, went to Boise State, got myself an English degree in technical writing, and so they hired me to maintain websites, content mm-hmm. management. And then over time, you know, I had the skills from, the, from my past, you know, jobs as far as doing PR and writing press releases, and so I just started doing more and more, and next thing you know, there was two of us in the marketing department, believe mm-hmm. it or not, that's all there was for in around 2007, 2008, there's only two of us. One graphics guy and myself, and we pretty much did it all. And, <laughs> and then from there, we've just kind of grown, you know. But yeah. it's like all the different departments in here have, have been that way. Like the the better people you get, the more better pe- people you attract to the company. And so that's kind of where that snowball gets rolling, where you just keep getting more and more better people, where the everything just kind of grows yeah. together. Um, another thing that's cool for you guys is uh, you just launched – the A Star Boot category, long uh, held by Parts uh, Parts Unlimited, and uh, A Stars uh, that deal must have come up, and A Stars te- teamed up with uh, WPS, and and you worked for A Star back in the day and lived in Italy, and we all know that brand, that name, is just a high quality, you know, top notch uh, product, and their boot is, I mean, tons of guys wear them for free, you know, they're that good, but that's exciting for you guys to to carry Alpine Star boots. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's a, a marquee brand for sure, and uh, it's just kind of a testament to where you know WPS is going as a distributor to be even for them to you know be able to you know, have their products available through WPS now when it was always a parts exclusive for a while is a is a pretty big deal, you know, for the for industry. Sure. So yeah, and yeah, the brand is just I've always had a huge amount of respect for that brand just because. I, obviously, I did work there, but I, I feel like I learned a lot when I was over there. I mean, it was a long time ago now. I guess it was, it was 97, 98, so shoot, 20 years ago, I guess, when I was over there. And, was it that long ago? But, Jeez. Okay. Yeah, wow. it's unreal to yeah. even fact, when I think about that. And so, yeah, I, would, I did media relations for, for Gabrielle and mm-hmm. um, lived over there in Italy and just learned a, a ton from him. You know, like I feel like he was always kind of ahead of the curve with that type of thing, you know, like he would be yeah. inviting – I remember when 
Davey Coombs was, you know, Gabrielle brought him over to a MotoGP. Like, he didn't even bring him to a motocross. He brought him to MotoGP because he wanted to see something that he really loved, yeah. MotoGP racing. And so he paid for him to go over there and tour the factory. And so he's always doing that stuff, thinking that way. Mm-hmm. And so those guys, yeah, like I said, I have a tremendous amount of respect for him. I, uh... I've never really spoken to Gabriel. I've shook his hand and said hi and thank you because A-Star puts up a hell of a hospitality at the Motocross the Nations. Um, and I've always thought it was really cool of them to do that. And I go there and it's one guy I've never really spoken to, but I see him everywhere. His, he must get so many air miles. must be insane the amount of air miles that he has. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Like even when I was there, like he, you know, he would bounce between – Torrance, California, mm-hmm. where their U.S. office was, and yep. then Italy, and then the next thing you know, he's gone. He went to a rally car race because he wanted to be in rally car racing, and now their shoes are everywhere, NASCAR, <laughs> rally car. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just crazy. Like, he would get a sport in his mind, you know, like it was mountain bike. For example, when I was there, it was like Alpine Stars wanted to be in mountain biking, and so they went and, you know, paid Brian Lopes to wear shoes, and, like, they didn't even really have shoes that were made for it yet, but mm-hmm. he's like, I just got to get somebody, you know, and so he, he got Brian Lopes to be an Alpine Stars guy, and so... Yeah, had to go to a couple of those events in France, and you know, just all over the place with that job. It was really fun, Un- unbelievable amount of stories on that one. Just to tell you, I know, went to a couple of motocross the nations. Yeah, went to like Moto GPs, which then were just 500 GPs because uh-huh. it was the two-stroke 500s. You know, back in the Mick Doohan days. Right. And I think Rossi was on 250 then, 250 two-stroke. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, just lots of really cool experiences like that that I'll never forget. Um, how do you get the job at A-Stars? How do you, how does that happen? It was, uh, you know, strange. I had, I was working at my first job, Cometic Gasket that I ever had in the okay. industry. Yeah. That was like 93, 95, somewhere in there. And, and then, um, I guess it was a little bit, yeah, cause it was, it was 96 ish and somewhere in that area. And I was just kind of looking for something new to do. And so I'd, was always pretty close with Davey Coombs, and I said, hey, if you know of anybody that's looking for someone, mm-hmm. let me know. And so I think the next day he gives me a call, and he's like, hey, Scott Link from Alpine Stars are looking for somebody to do media relations. And so they kind of, he kind of connected the two of us. And The next and, day. Uh, Coombs calls the next day. Hey, yeah, I yeah, got a, I got I mean, a job for you. <laughs> it's hilarious. So, like, literally, like, probably a week later, like, Scott Link, they flew me to Washougal, and that was my interview, like Gabrielle and Scott Link, and we walked around at the races and kind of uh-huh. hung out, and and then I got, yeah, you got the job, you know, like a couple days later, and next thing, I think I think it was all in a matter of like three weeks, I'm, I'm on a plane to Italy, you know, clueless wow. American going over there. <laughs> yeah, no, really, right? Um, so you knew it was for, to move to Italy the whole time, like, yeah, 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 it, it's kind of like I'd gone through some tough stuff during that part of my life, my mm-hmm. dad had passed away. And my dad and I were really tight. You know, he was always my mechanic when I was right. racing and stuff. So, And I had been married. You know, I'm in my second marriage now. My first marriage kind of fell apart. So it was just a weird oh, you were, in my life. You were, like, ready to get away. <laughs> exactly. I just, like, I just need to get away and get a change in my life. And so I just thought that was, I mean, how could it be any cooler than that? And I had no idea. I was so naive. You know, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I didn't know any language, know anything about the culture. Well, so. there's no Internet back then. There's no cell phones. Yeah, you exactly. Know? Like, I traveled over there around that time, too. And you're just like, this is so weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it's nothing like even now because, you know, this is the pre, 
you know, European Union time where like there's mm-hmm. still border crossings. And so like, you know, you go everywhere you go, it was, it was difficult to do anything to yeah. go from one country to the next was difficult because you're getting stopped and they want you to pay VAT taxes because you got a, a van full of boots and they're going, you're going to sell that. So you need to pay tax. And we're like, no, this is promo stuff. You know, yeah, so we're yeah. having to haggle with them. And uh, I mean, it was, it was really crazy. Um, you know, Gina from RCH just got that same job. Gina D- D'Ambrosio, I think her last name is. Oh, really? Um, She's media relations, and she's living in Italy. And I saw her, and I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, yeah, I'm living in Italy. I'm working for media relations for A-Star. I'm like, wow. I thought immediately thought of you. I'm like, what's Spangler's old job? So uh, they like to hire the Americans, I guess. Um, So when WPS picks up A-Star, I mean, are you, Gabrielle still likes you, still knows you? It's like, hey, welcome back. Is that how it goes, or? I saw Scott Link, you know, and uh, we right away were like, hey, you know, let's, you know, we haven't seen each other for for years, sure. but yeah, I haven't seen Gabrielle either or talked to him for years, so I don't even know if he'd probably recognize me. <laughs> <laughs> he'd be like, hey, I, I think you were in Italy once. So, um, how'd you like living there? And like, they provided Gina with an apartment and everything, and and all that, and and uh, how, how'd you like it? Like, did you did you dig it? Sounds like a similar deal. Yeah, like they basically. The only weird part is like the apartment for me was over the factory, so I felt like okay. I never got away, you mm-hmm. know. But uh, yeah, they gave me an apartment, an amazing apartment, you know, just like marble everything, just high ceilings, yeah. just crazy place, you know. And then a car, and, a, and there's a street bike that I could just go ride whenever I felt like. There's a couple of dirt bikes I could go. Yeah, did you ever go riding? Did you ever ride moto? I did a couple times. Yeah, one time there was a. This will this will date me here. So like it was the when they just released the YZ four hundred. Okay. And it was like the all white version, and some magazine guys that I knew, you know, from the media relations, were like, "Hey, we're going to test this bike," and it was maybe thirty miles from Alpine Stars factory. So they invited me, and I got to go ride the bike, and had never ridden a four stroke in my life. Right. So yeah. Was, yeah. I mean, probably everybody's in that kind of same boat, but it was just kind of interesting to to think that that when, when that bike was coming out, that was one of the times I got to actually ride over there. It was <laughs> and My, it, it was a strange. I remember that thing just had this crazy bog where it just cut out on all the jump faces, and it's kind of scared <laughs> the hell out of me. No, actually. the first time I ever rode one, I rode a buddy's in in uh, Camarillo, California. He's like, "Don't chop the throttle." Don't like you know off the off the throttle off a jump. Do not chop the throttle. <laughs> I'm like okay. He's like you'll die. The thing will just drop. <laughs> I'm like okay, <laughs> all right, I got it. Um, that's the first time I ever rode one too. Really outside of an XR seven seventy five or whatever you know. Um, so you're working there, and is that like Tech Eight time? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Which really yep. kind of changed the motocross boot world. You know. Yeah, I love that boot. You know, like I think that thing was just. So so far ahead of its time, and it really was. And uh, yeah, they did a good job on that. And but yeah, it's it's. Uh, I, I honestly over there, I think I love the the whole culture as- aspect of it. I think it mm-hmm. changed me permanently after being over there for for, for good. You know, for, in a in a good way because I feel like it opened my eyes. And I hear racers talk about it all the time. Like you hear like Zach Osborne like talking about like him going to Iceland recently. I'm yeah. thinking he probably would have never done that if he would never lived in Europe. Oh hell no, no, no for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, not. he's more open to that type of thing, and I think that's what it did for me. You know, mm-hmm. like just eating all the different types of food, and you know, because I love that. Like anywhere I go, I want to. If I'm if I'm at a, I don't care where it is. You know, like if I'm in Omaha, Nebraska, I want to find a cool local place that you know people dig. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to go to the chain restaurant. So yeah, um, so like that kind of stuff, I love it. Did you get to come back to America, or were you there like two years straight? Just. 
No, I was able to come back. I had to come back my, from my sister's wedding, and then they, um, Gabrielle brought me back a couple times for um, to Torrance because yeah. over in Italy, like during August, the pretty much three weeks out of the out of August is the factories closed, and that's kind of like their national holiday. Okay. I think I don't know if it's still like that yeah. right now that it's EU, but that's the way it was then. And so, like, I would come back and hang out in California. And a funny, funny story on that. This is probably one of my coolest memories. I still can't believe it to this day. But so I, so I, I came back to California to Torrance, and uh, Gabrielle had always wanted Valentino Rossi to wear Alpine stars. Mm-hmm. And then I think he maybe was wearing the boots, but maybe not even that. I think he yeah. was Dainese still. But regardless, he's like. We're going to pay for Valentino to come to California because he always said he wanted to ride dirt bikes with Mike Metzger. And so we're like, okay, so we, we got this it's band, random, right? but Yeah, and that's random, but whatever. Valentino Rossi just shows up at Alpine Stars, him and I, just, just the two of us. We load up dirt bikes, gear, everything. We drive to Mike Metzger's house in, like, Quail Valley, wherever the heck that was, you know, back in the mm-hmm. day where he – so we go out there, we hang out with Mesker, we ride dirt bikes with them and ride back. And to this day, I'm still thinking, I can't believe I took Valentino Rossi riding with You should go next time you need MotoGP, go up to him and be like, hey, man, remember Metzger's house? Dude, that was just such a strange, yeah, I mean, just random. And I also, I think the following year, I ended up taking Marco Melandri. Same thing. We went out to, like, Paris or someplace and yeah. rode motos, you know. I remember um, when I worked at Yamaha, Biagi would come and hang out, and he wore, like, Speedos. And Biagi was just chilling at the track, watching Supercross, like Reed, Villem, and Ferry. And everyone's like, hey, what, what's that guy? And that's Max, Max Biagi. Oh, okay, all right, whatever. But he loved it, right? He was all into it. I, I swear he had Speedos on. <laughs> I, I, I don't know, man. I'm um, just telling you. Uh, so what What made you get out of A-Star and come back to America with Smith? What um, Just wanted to get out, or, or what happened? I think it was just, you know, I was young, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, dumb in a lot of ways where I just didn't probably appreciate what I had. And, you know, at that time it was, again, I wanted to kind of get away, you know, due to my situation. But then I also, once I was over there and it, it was, it was, it took a lot out of me because I was, I was by myself a lot, actually, you know, oh, I'd load sure, up a, yeah. a minivan and, and uh, one time I had to drive from, from Italy all the way to Sheffield, England for the, for the Supercross to hang out with Jeremy McGrath. It's like, Gabriel's like, I want you to go there and like, all you have to do is just hang out with McGrath, just so he has people around him that are like American type people, you know. So it's like <laughs> that's the kind of stuff I would do, you know. And then other times I'd drive to Paris and I have to find these editorial offices and go in and show them products. And but I was all by myself, you know. So yeah. like, street signs are different, you know. Like I'd, I'd have a, a, I'd have an address and obviously and no a, phone with Google Maps. Yeah, just, just like a map trying to right. find this office and everything's Rue Day something in Paris, you know. So it's kind of like trying to find it was a needle in a haystack. So it was. I tell people all the time, like, I never worry about getting lost in the United States after driving around. I'm no. worried about myself, you know. I, I think about, like, driving box fans, and I only had a map. I had a Rand McNally, uh, you know, you're steering with your knee. You're looking at Rand McNally. You're driving 80 miles an hour down a freeway in, in America, never mind in Europe. And you're, and you're like, how did I even find anything out? Like, how did I, how did I not get lost all the time? You know, um, absolutely. And, and never mind. Yeah, so but you get that yeah. sense of direction, you know. Yeah, never mind in Europe. Like, good God. So. What yeah, was nothing this, straight. What was, <laughs> this, what was the sketchiest drive or experience you had over there? Maybe at a border crossing or something. Well, like on that same trip, actually, to Sheffield. Mm-hmm. So I'm driving, you know, by myself. I go all the way up into Germany, and I go across Germany, and then I'm into northern France. 
and then I come to Calais where you got to get on the ferry. Mm-hmm. So that's all cool. You know, it's fun. You know, I get drive the van on there, and I'm like, right. this is cool, you know. Then I get to the other side, and I realize, holy cow, I'm going to be on the other side of the road now. I've never driven on the left side of the road. You know? <laughs> so I'm freaked out, right? I'm just like, this is going to be – it's going to be weird. So, like – it's not that bad, so I'm driving cool, and then I'm on this ring road, I guess, that goes around London because you got to kind of circumnavigate it to get to go to Sheffield more. Uh-huh. So I'm driving it, and there I come to a toll booth, and I roll up, and I'm like, "How do I pay?" Oh the yeah, and then I, it's oh the- yeah, it's on the other side because the <laughs> right, right. So I got to put the thing in park and walk around the van, talk to the guy, pay whatever, and then get rocked back around. Yeah, I just felt like an idiot. But, yeah, yeah, you're like, oh, yeah. man. Um, so how so how did the job from Smith? come about so smith yeah after after a couple of years at alpine stars i got i was just kind of burned out from that whole mm-hmm. by myself in europe and was ready to come back and so so came back and was sitting at home uh kind of spending my money you know <laughs> not making any money and, yeah yeah i guess you probably and, saved uh, money pretty good um yeah like somewhat you know and um but yeah, just sitting at home, burning it up, and going, man, I guess I should think about my next move. And <laughs> strangely enough, I, probably not a lot of people know this one, but I actually spent Fred Bramlett. You remember him? That yeah, no, I know Fred. OMS. Yeah. yeah. So I, he he called me and he offered me a job to take on some accounts to do. I think they had AMA at the time for an account, which was really strange. I had to try and so basically I had to try and sell all these different amateur races like dirt track and all this different stuff. And after about two and a half months of that, realizing that I'm calling up all my friends in the industry, asking them to spend money on stuff that I probably wouldn't spend money on. I was like, <laughs> this isn't for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so right around that same time, Hook Taylor called me because I'd always been a Smith athlete back in when I, my racing right. days. And he said, hey, we've got this opening and would love to have you come out and interview for it. So I came out and interviewed and like a jackass, I turned him down. And then like I was sitting for another month. I think it was because I just I didn't know anything about Idaho, and I was like, man, I just I can't see. Where were you? You're from Ohio, right? So yeah, from Ohio. Were so you like, back in Ohio after A Star? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. So yeah, I'm hanging out there, and I'm like, man, Idaho. I'm like, I don't know anything about this state. I've never been there. I just moved back from Italy. Do I really want to make this big of a change again? So I said no, and then. About a month later, like Hook's like, are you ready to take this job yet? And so I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not making any money, so I better take this job. <laughs> so, yeah, the rest is history. I've been in Idaho since, so that was 99. Right. I think when I moved here to, to Idaho. and uh, Was Mark Ferris there then? Yeah, Mark yeah, Ferris. So Ferris. I did the Smith thing until 2004. Oh, you did that long, then, huh? Okay, yeah, yeah. I think it was, no, 2003, maybe it was 2003. Yeah. Yeah, and then once I left Smith, I was living up in Sun Valley, which is pretty much hard to do if you don't make a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> and so I came over to Boise, and that's when I went to college and worked at a bike shop here, Carl Cycle Sales. And, uh-huh. and then uh, then I got a call from Dan Lopez, who's kind of the head product manager over here and yep. at WPS, and that's wow. I ended up here. Yeah, interesting uh, outside the industry career, for sure. When you were Smith, were you building goggles? You were going all the races, weren't you? Yeah. Well, man, that's uh, that's funny. When I when I always see things about goggle guys, I just go, man, I don't envy you because it's, it's one of the hardest jobs. You've done it now. You I, know did it. I, mean, yeah, I did it. Yeah, really... I did it. I did it for uh, four years for X-Brand, and then I gave it up this year, and I love Rich Taylor. Speaking of Hook, I love Rich Taylor, and I love the company. I tell my wife, I must have told her three or four times this year, 
that that giving that money up and that job was the best thing I ever did. Like, or recently anyways, uh, maybe, yeah. you know, I don't want to say outside of marrying her or whatever, but honestly, like I didn't realize the stress and work and effort I was putting in. I mean, again, the money was nice, but man, it, it's kind of sucks. Like, I don't know how Johnny Knowles keeps doing it, you know? And I'm just like, man, so you, you can, you can see why a guy like that's like, you know, just, just tight all the time because it's just, it doesn't matter. You're looking at the weather, like constantly you're just going, Oh shoot. You know, like this guy's. <laughs> If this guy throws his goggles like you're looking like an idiot, you know, and so it's it's a lot of pressure, damned if you do, damned if you don't, type of situation where, yep. man, and, and like honestly, you, you and, mess up a set of goggles, that guy's mad. Well, yeah, it's funny. Like I talked to, uh, I was talking to Dad Bentley from Honda, and I don't know how it came up, goggles came up or something, and he's like, we spend millions of dollars on that rider and that bike and that team, <laughs> and a twenty pair, twenty dollar pair of goggles, you know, the cheapest that whatever it costs to make can screw up everything and i'm like you're right it's actually really scary when you think about it like that you know like they're foam and they're a little lens and yeah i can screw up a whole screw up a whole day for everybody yeah i seem to recall here steve there might have been an incident at one time involving the team that you were working for with tim ferry too uh with smith yeah did you remember that remember jerry campbell that guy yelling at me uh no but uh, well, my, well Wait, that might have been two thousand. I worked for Timmy in ninety nine. Did he wear Smith? Oh, uh, it was it was fairy. Like he was, it, he was no, his two, goggles. That something happened to him. Okay, and got sweat in him. And I think it was Jerry. Is that his name? Yeah, yeah Jerry, Jerry Campbell, Campbell worked for Timmy in two thousand. Yeah. Oh, he was so mad, like yelling at me and Rich Taylor. Man, and you're just like, like whatever. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it some brutal. of it too. Like uh, some of it, Dale, as a goggle guy, like some of it was some of these guys being so ungrateful and blaming you for things you had no control over. And I'm just like, dude, I work for you every single weekend. I try my best. Nothing failed on my end, and it's my fault that you got a uh, a rock in your lens or whatever and blew it out. Like everything was fine, you know. Like like I just and then these guys just get so mad, and you're like, I get it, but it ain't my fault, man. You know, like I don't know. I just I got a little bummed yeah. at that. I have nothing but respect for any any guys that have the longevity that they do that stay in those types of jobs. I mean, even like Max that you know that does fly for us. I'm like, how the heck have you done this for so long? Because yeah. you know, I did that the media relations and then going straight into you know taking care of goggles on rider support, and it it burned me out too, just because of those situations where I just felt like, man, I'm I can't do anything right in this job because it seems like it's it's hard. <laughs> yeah, to, you never um, you only heard when things went wrong, right? No one ever said yeah, great. Exactly. No one ever said great job. <laughs> But yeah, Smith was a, good, a really great company too. Though I just, uh, you know, they wanted me to travel more. Did they? Oh, okay. And I'm like, man, yeah. I just can't. You know, I'd, I'd done. I think the last year I did like 250 thousand miles flying or something. Oh, jeez. Wanted me to do more. Oh wow, I'm, I'm about 110 a year, and that's enough. Yeah, it was it was okay, crazy. I, I had to go to Europe three times to do the GP guys at that point because mm-hmm. I'd, I'd take like bags of goggles and like we had like James Dobb and we had a bunch of different guys. So they here's your 50 goggles for like half yeah, the season or yeah. whatever and yeah. You know, it's just like the one-time deal. You know, like we didn't have any support over there at the time, and mm-hmm. and shoot, like when I was doing it, we didn't. There was no cool Smith rig like they had there for a while, where it was like <laughs> it was me in a rental car, like building goggles at sometimes, or even in my hotel room the night before because it was raining. And yeah. oh shoot, I got to get rain goggles ready. You didn't now. have any of the turbofan goggles or the violator. Remember the violator goggle? Oh my God, worst worst goggle name ever. Huh? <laughs> kind of was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, so let's. Uh, Let's go into the time machine here and go back to your racing career. I was checking out some of your results in the vault at Racer X, and 
You know, I have four Manitoba titles, Spangler, and I don't shut up about them. Um, you know, it's it, I missed a fifth by, by, by two points, by the way. But I never got third in a moto. And I don't know why you don't absolutely have this on your Instagram bio, on your Twitter bio. <laughs> um, because if it was me, can you imagine how people would be sick of hearing me say this? But at 80, in 89 at Redbud, you go 14-3 at Redbud. Um and then, well, actually, I mean, you had a nice career at racing moto, but um, that was incredible. That's great. But so let's go back, though, even further. So your team green, I remember you, team green um, from Ohio. Uh, how do you get into racing? How does that start? Yeah, it's by my dad, you know, like he was a car drag racer. And so he just was, had it in his blood racing. And for some reason, I think he just got bored. He quit drag racing, and he's like, okay, my, my son's, you know, I was at that point, I think I was 12, and he's like, I want to take him to a dirt bike race. And mm-hmm. I, I think in the back of his mind, he's like, he just, he set it up to where, like, I know he's going to probably want to do this, so this will be a probably pretty good strategic move on my part, because <laughs> then I'll get to have some racing again. Yeah. <laughs> so pretty much that's how it was. He took me to a local track called Ohio International, and I remember seeing Jeff Hicks. Oh, yeah. I mean, Hicks, yeah. just badass it was so cool he had on that all white like keystone gear uh-huh and i just was like this is the coolest thing ever so yeah dad went out and bought a couple yz80s and mm-hmm. that was the end of it man we were going full tilt uh and, at uh, some point you started getting good at this thing huh were you thinking like i can you know 14 15 years old you're like oh, i want to be rj is that you're like i want to make a career of this uh, yeah i don't know if i thought that far you know at that uh-huh. but it, it did seem to happen pretty fast since i didn't even start till i was 12 you know i yeah. started right out in the senior mini class you know so it was you know like in the 12 to 15 i think is what it was then and so yeah i think after my second year i started winning in the local races and then gosh i think it was 86 is when i got the team green call and that was man talk about being stoked you know like you get a call from i think it was bruce sternstrom then you know i get a call on the phone from him and i'm just like freaking out you know what you know it's like they they knew how to make you feel kind of special at that time and it was so yeah i think i i'm trying to think of like won an actual amateur title or anything like that but i was close i think i got third one year and at loretta's in 125a and this is um, um this is before david hand but after Eddie Warren and all that from Michigan, it's so like, who are you racing against? Uh, Amateur-wise. Like do you remember the Beckman brothers? Yeah, yeah. So like, yeah and yeah. then, like, Greg Bowen and Keith Bowen and, and Mike LaRocco. And, like, we we would all kind of go to, like... Oh, sure, yeah, LaRocco would have been Indiana, right around then, yeah. Yeah, Michigan, like, that whole... Right. And there was a track in Southern Ohio. We'd all kind of, like, just follow each other around somewhat. And mm-hmm. So we all got faster, you know? Like, it seemed like at that time, like, our group of guys... If you look back at Loretta Lynn's, like those years, like we were pretty much in the top ten. Like there's a lot of guys that we all raised. Michigan, uh, Ohio, Indiana, that kind of stuff. Exactly, yeah. And uh, Derek Rowe. I'm trying to think of some other. What guys. about uh, what about Greg Rand? Before, after you? He was after. Yeah, yeah okay. he was a little right. younger. Right. So yeah, he was a bad um, dude on 80s. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of fast Ohio kids. I think back and I'm like, there's just a ton. Like Freddie Andrews. Like I was kind of the young guy, and he was the. He was the pro that established himself, and he just, it was funny. We'd, we'd battle at these local races, and, like, he was the crafty guy. Like, no matter what, like, I'd be beating him the entire moto, and uh-huh. then he'd pass me on the last lap <laughs> and win, you know, take my money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'd be 18, 17, 18. He'd be like, just a minute, kid. Uh, you know, let me show you how to stop. Yep. Um, so, Team Green Ride. So, you're going Loretta's, I guess, at this point? Yeah. And then, yeah, Tough Racing also picked me up then, too. So, I was a Team Green Tough Racing guy. And then, uh-huh. And doing Loretta Lynn's, and then so '88, I think, was my first pro race at Lake Sugar Tree. 
Okay. And uh, I qualified. I don't think I was twenty in the twenties or something, but that was my first national. And and then. Uh, well, it says here you got Supercross Pontiac in '88. Eleventh um, one night and fourteenth the next night. Oh yeah, I forget all that stuff too, man. So you just made you just showed up and made the main right away. Yeah. Yeah, I think at that time, like, yeah, I was fast enough to do that. And but Rocco won, so you're like, oh, yeah, I got this guy. Yeah, that bummed me out, because, like, those guys were, like, I, it's lot, some of the local races, I would actually beat those guys. There was a place called COCR, and, uh-huh. gosh, man, I could, for some reason, I could beat all those guys there, but then I'd go, they'd go to the Nationals, and they'd, they just had something more than me, for yeah, sure. Carl Valancourt they, finished right ahead of you, Canadian. Valancourt, yeah, he's yeah. a good dude. I remember him from Florida, you know. Um, yeah. So you show, yeah. So you, like, I mean, this is the time too. Like, people don't understand. There's no supercross practice tracks back then. Not for guys no. like you, right? I mean, <laughs> no. Nope. You're just like, hey, let's turn the clickers up and turn the clickers in and go racing. Yeah, I don't even know if we did that. You know, it's kind of <laughs> like it was. We didn't know what we were doing, you know. And, and I was one of those guys that never really noticed that much of a difference on a bike, anyway. So it was, you know, somebody, you, I, if I got on a good bike, I'd be like, wow, this thing actually handles good, but I wouldn't know how to get there. You who, know, who did your motors? Thing. Like tough, tough to your motors? Yeah, it's so tough did my motors. Yeah, yep. yeah you, you go eleven, fourteen at the two, first two supercrosses. Did you did, were those the first two, or do you remember not making a main? I remember my very first supercross. I knocked myself out. It was oh, okay. a Houston, <laughs> Houston race, yeah. and uh, so that was my very first one I ever raced. And I just remember like I just jumped the biggest whatever, a triple on the track, like the biggest thing that I yeah. was possible for you to jump on 125 then, because you know how it was then. Yeah. There was a lot of jumps that yeah. 125s wouldn't even do at all, you know? Uh-huh. And so I just jumped that, and I, like, clipped a clipped a, a jump and, like, smacked my head, like, went right up between the goggles and the helmet and just KO'd me. <laughs> Woke up on the side of the track, and I think it was it was either Sternstrom or Jose Gonzalez, like one of the Team Green guys, just, like, sitting with me, like, where the heck am I? Yeah. Um, you get 10th in New Jersey in 88, 125 East Coast. You get 11th at, at Lake Sugar Tree Whoa, at the National. It's pretty good. I remember that. Spangler, you beat Brooks <laughs> and Karsten and Chicken at, uh, at Lake Sugar Tree. It's pretty good. Wow. Um, this is 88, so uh, you rode Cowies then. Um, you got 9th at Redbud, another good – 89, you got 3rd. But in, 80, in, uh, in 88, you went 9-10 uh, uh, at Redbud. Wow. Like, I mean, you got to be, like, thinking, like, hey, I'm on the way, right? I mean. Yeah, honestly, I think it was close. You know, 89, though, I, we we switched to Suzuki's because that was what Tuff did. And mm-hmm. I think that was Bowen and then John Kitch. Remember that kid from Michigan? Yeah, was Barnett bad. was riding. Yeah. Remember Barnett came back for a little bit for yep. Tough. Yep, Barnett came back. And then I think Mike Pascarella was another guy that was pretty fast. Mm-hmm. And he was on the team. And Did you ever hang out with Bomber? Uh, did you ever have any Bomber interactions? A little bit at, um, do you remember Gene Numack? Yeah, I know Gene, yeah. I still yeah, see him. Yeah, I used to yeah. stay at his house down in Florida, and so he had a track. And, yeah, I remember Bomber coming out and riding Numack's track a few times, but never really talked to him much. But, um, um, yeah, it was I still see Gene cool at Dallas team. and Houston every year or whatever. I still see Gene. Um, yeah, I liked him. He's a good dude. Yeah, uh, so 89, you're at the end of 88, you got nothing as far as that goes. I mean, this is a different time. You would have been snatched up on some sort of support team now, but – uh, I guess that's Dave Antelak at Tough. He's just like, hey, you want to do another year, I guess, is how it works, and we're riding Suzuki's? Yeah, like I think I got a couple bikes, and then maybe I had. I think I still had to buy some bikes and, you know, buy some parts, but they, they helped me pretty well, and, and we had our own box truck that we painted up Tough on it. It's not like I had my own, you know, I wasn't given a truck or anything. And so, you know, 89 was the year. That was the make-or-break year for me, and 
you know, didn't make it, but I, I still had, I look back at those results and I just go, wow, it was, it was stacked then. You Dude, know, like these are great results. I don't understand why you didn't race again in 90. Yeah, I think it was a deal. Like my dad and I were like, you know, if we gave myself three years and I was like, if I don't have a factory deal, then I'm doing something <laughs> else. And so the end of 89, I got, had finished, I think I tied with Chris Coleman in the East region for sixth place in the Supercross series. And and I think I was on par to be close to like maybe fourteen, fifteen, or something in the outdoors, and then I broke my shoulder or something and missed a few rounds. And and so I'm just like, man, I just don't. Yeah, you, you got know, eighteen. What. You got you got uh, in in any uh, nine. You got eighteenth uh, in the points. Yeah. So I think I I probably would have been closer to fourteen or so if yep. I would have finished those two races. But but yeah, and it, I think I had talked to Pat Alexander at Suzuki, and I mm-hmm. was I was kind of in their mind, I guess, to get a ride. And, but they ended, I think they gave it to Jeremy Buell and I, I understood why he was a couple of years younger than me and upcoming. And so well, you're what, 20 was, though, at this point, I mean, you're not like, yeah, you're, not I mean, like but it's, it's just crazy. You know, like that was about as close as I got. And so 90, I think I, you know, I had some gear deals lined up and really couldn't even get any bikes or anything. So I just was like, well, I guess that's it. You know, so I <laughs> quit for like a couple of years, three years and, uh-huh. Went and got a, like a drafting degree, I think, or something like that. Some tech college, and tried to be normal, which wasn't really all that. Correct. <laughs> it wasn't really all that fun as I thought it would be. Crazy normal, though, but. when you look at your results in '89, you go nine, thirteen, seven, six, five at the first uh, f- uh, six races, first five races. <laughs> oh yeah, and I actually missed. I missed the opening round of that year in the Supercross East, so I could have been even lower, I think. But I broke my collarbone at one of the. Florida Winter Series races and missed the Miami Supercross. Yeah, yeah, Miami. I was so I didn't even race yeah. that one. Um, eighty and then fifth, you got fifth in uh, in Jersey. Uh, Bradshaw, yeah. Kardowski, Stevenson, all champions. And then Bear Dog. I mean, Barry's a champion, anyways. And then you. <laughs> it's like crazy <laughs> when you look at that, right? Like you're like, hey, look at me, <laughs> fifth place in a Supercross. Like I said, Spangler, I would be. I'd be over the moon if these were my results. As a, he's as like a, a different person. I, I don't even know that guy anymore. But. <laughs> what do you remember about that race fifth in '89? Do you remember anything? I do remember it being pretty darn cool because that stadium, East Rutherford, was. I thought it was pretty cool, and I, and that was the night that I think, like, right after our main event, it started pouring and like Johnny O or somebody won. I think, and it was just raining and just yeah, it was pretty cool. Like there seemed like there was a lot of people in the stadium that night, and it was just uh, did uh, it was. Did Bradshaw talk to you at all? I don't think we ever said a word to each other. Never said a word because he, he's badass. He's a bad dude. Dude, he, he scared the hell out of me. Like, I remember being <laughs> on a 125, and he was on an 80, and I was intimidated by the kid. You know, wearing one of those Scott Venturi masks, he just looked like a beast. Yeah. Know? Thanks, everybody, for listening to the MotorcycleSuperstore.com RacerX podcast. Thanks for listening, man. These things are going great, and I'm stoked with the responses from everybody, and uh, you guys have been doing a great job with the downloads. Don't forget the Fly Race and Moto 60 show on Thursdays, the Pulp MX show on Mondays, the NFAB Racer X Fantasy show sometime in the middle of the week, and the Motorcycle Superstore, they're a passionate team who speak moto from talking about going riding, bench racing from the latest company ride to the latest parts and gear. This is what drives them to be a place for you to check out all things motorcycles with the top brands and gear, accessories, tires, parts, and apparel. You want to save there. They got everything you need to get out and ride. Go to the website to check out their inventory of brands, uh, over 700 of them. Do you speak moto? If you do, go to MotorcycleSuperstore.com. Use the code PB-PULP16 to uh, 10% off participating brands. PB-PULP16. 
saves you money. All right, let's get to these commercials from Racetech and Michelin and MotorcycleSuperstore.com. Thanks for listening. See you after the break. Racetech people, Racetech.com. These guys have been in business for over 30 years, supplying racers, riders, and tuners with factory-level suspension to everyday racer. There's a lot of top suspension guys in the pits that got their start with Racetech. Trust me on this. There's more than a few guys that have learned underneath Paul Feed and gone on to, uh, to great things. Paul Feed, the original suspension guru. I guarantee you... And probably 82.7% of you people listening to this podcast need some sort of suspension work, whether it's uh, just a simple oil change with new bushings and seals, give your bike some love, whether it's the right spring rate for your weight and or speed, or maybe you just need some revalving on the machine to uh, help you uh, take first place in that Chicken Licks Raceway. Something something uh, on your bike needs attention for Racetech. I guarantee you. Freeze, Gilmore, some of the guys just using uh, Racetech Privateer Proven. They work with uh, Ben LeMay also. They're back with Ben LeMay. And uh, they offer a full line of Racetech high-performance springs. These springs are called high-performance because they're extremely lightweight for their rates and feature the tightest tolerances in the industry. You want to save 10%? At uh, Racetech, go to Pulp MX 2015 when you order. You can save 10% at Racetech.com. And they're uh, proud sponsors of this podcast, and we thank you guys. All right, back to the show. Michelin tires are back, people. MichelinMotorcycle.com. Michelin Starcross 5, brand new, available in hard, medium, soft, and sand. Uh, their off-road tires are some of the best ones out there, and they've revamped this whole lineup. There's no one who knows these tires better than our own, Chris Kiefer. When they're calling it comfort casing technology, what are they talking about? Is this a fancy marketing term or what? No, it's actually the carcass of the tire itself, so how much it flexes or how you know sidewall stiffness that you have when you come into corners. And what's cool about this tire is even from the previous version, on the MH3, it gives more. So when you hit square edge or you're coming out of a corner with some bumps, it has some give to it. It's more comfort, so it doesn't feel so rigid. A lot of that has to do with the, the CCT. So you're telling me the comfort casing at the end of the day, maybe it helps you a little bit to have some suspension and tires. Yeah, obviously it's flexing a little bit, but also, too, when you come into corners, you don't want it to roll on you. So they've got that dialed in to where you come into a corner and you still have enough stiffness where it grabs and bites, but yet straight line, you have comfort. Hey, as a former factory mechanic, Kiefer, I know all about mounting tires, um, so no problem for me to mount anything. Right. Well, maybe not a moose. Uh, you found mounting these new Michelin's uh, pretty easy, actually. Yeah, I'm a great test rider, but my mechanic skills are novice at best, so mounting the tire wasn't too bad. They sent me a bunch of tires to mount before testing, and I was out there busting in the garage, and normally you got to put some tires in the sun, let them soften up a little bit, but this... Um, the bead rolls on really nice. I didn't have to struggle. No curse words were, were sworn in the garage. So uh, it was a lot better for me, you know, putting these on. Four versions of this tire. They cover all the uses, Kiefer. Reduced weight, comfort casing technology, mounting, traction, handling. They do it all. Starcross 5, MichelinMotorcycle.com. Thank those guys. Check them out, the local dealer people. These guys know tires and they know what they're doing. Uh, Red Bud, you go 14-3. And I read, I went, went, went through the cycle news from that race on the archives. And they like literally just go, oh yeah, and third place was tough racing Dale Spangler. Like, <laughs> they don't, they don't mention a word about a kid getting third place. You were a privateer against Kudrowski and Bradshaw and Holland and Cooper and, and, uh, you name it. And, and they just go, oh yeah, and tough racing Dale Spangler got third. I'm just like, that's, I'm like, really, guys? Oh you can't even go yeah. interview the guy? You can't, like, find out who this kid is? 
different uh, different times, isn't it? You know, it's, totally. It's, uh, you're stoked when you showed up in Cycle News, you know, yeah. back then. Dude, can you imagine if some that would be like, you know, a tough racing team would be equal to, you know, the Superstore team, let's say, and Josh Osby grabbing a third, you know, and you're yeah. like, whoa, like where the hell did that come from, right? And yeah, that was just one of those races where it's like, I think that was the one race, one and only race I ever got a top 10 start and actually worked my way from 10th to like third, you know, it was really weird. Uh-huh. But yeah, I was able to. Because I, I always had terrible like starts for some reason. I, I, if I was on a two fifty two stroke, I could rip whole shots all day. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was, but it, get on a one twenty five, terrible starts. Like I'd always be the guy coming through the pack, like Morocco or something, where it was just constantly having to come from behind. So yeah, that was just one of those where. And then the other thing, this is kind of a funny side note, but like, so my bike ran pretty good that day, but mm-hmm. then. The second moto that I got third in, like the storm was blowing in, and so the temperatures dropped. Yeah, my bike was just ripping. Just, you know, yeah, just yeah, like, it's perfect. It's like the jetting just came in perfect, <laughs> and so everything just clicked in that moto. So it, you would have been riding like a, a yellow tank with blue fenders and pink bars and whatever yeah. Angela had going on back then. <laughs> yeah, I think that was a blue setup we had on that one. Later in the year, we had the pink stuff or purple mm-hmm. or something. I don't know. It was yeah. It was. Did you color. did you hang out with Bowen? In 89? Yeah, we did, actually. You know, like, we, uh, it's funny, there's a couple times where I went up to his house in Michigan, and we hung out, and, and he came down and hung out with me one time, and he was funny, man. Like, he didn't, it was pretty much nothing he, going on. Yeah, like, he, he didn't really even ride. No, you know, Bowen. Train, so he'd just make, like, a, you know, pot roast and some, some <laughs> boiled dinner, and, like, hey, we got some good food. And so. Bowen, uh, <laughs> Bowen had some issues going on back then, I think. I don't think he was totally focused on motocross. Yeah, good but, dude. I always got along really good with him. We had a fun time laughing and just. Yeah, you know, I still see him. Fun. I still see him. Uh, races, talk to him every now and then. I gave him some X Brown goggles a while ago. So cool. Yeah, um, good dude. Yeah, always really talented, wasn't he? Like he didn't need oh. to practice all the time. Like the Yamaha guys would be like, I don't think he rode his practice bike once, and then he'd podium a national. I mean, just his speed and the whoops was just back then was kind of like nobody was even could even touch him on that. Yeah, it's kind of underrated, right? Nobody really remembers that, like about him. He just—I think he would just like almost close his eyes and just whole pin it, like he just didn't care. He wasn't scared. <laughs> um, so you get the third at Red Bud. What happens after the race? Like nothing. Like nobody cares or what? Crickets. Pretty much crickets. You, you go fourteen three, and nobody comes by and says, "Hey, man!" Like, you know? Yeah, no, no, pretty. That's it. No, no, not really. I think I got a nice sweet Suzuki bonus check, you know, from the contingency. That was cool. <laughs> Such a different time, man. Such a different time, you know? Well, it's not uh, much different right now, is it? Like no. all the stuff you've been talking about lately. Like I hear you talk about it. I go, man, that's that's kind of where it was at back then in 89 when I couldn't get a ride. There was Everybody had struggled at that time, you yeah. know? So it was, I think it was just one of those unfortunate timing incidents where like if it would have been a couple years later or whatever, I probably would have had something. But that's just how it worked out, you know? Can't Can't really... Can you imagine if well, that? Uh, yeah. Can you imagine if that uh, dumb rule about counting 125 supercross points was in in '89, Spangler? What number? Oh, yeah. Did you... well, we did, we, for a long time, you wouldn't even get any points at all. No. You, yeah. You had the pro am thing, right? Yeah. You get nothing. Yeah. Nobody would care, right? So um, my first couple of years, like I got, I scored points technically, but I wouldn't get a national number because I was a pro am. You were uh, number 162, I think, right? Yep. Yeah. And then I finally like. I scored 41s at the end of 89, so that would have been my national number going into 1990, but that didn't even, I didn't even use it. So you didn't race in 90. That was it. Done. Done. Yeah. So I can, actually, I came back like in 94, 
showed up at Unadilla with a stock Honda that my buddy let me ride, ripped the whole shot, crashed my brains out, didn't qualify, drove home. <laughs> well, you did race Troy, got 17th in 94. Yeah, so I did. Yeah, then I ended up getting like this FNS Suzuki out of out of Dayton. You yeah, I remember FNS. They, were really they helped big. us with with Birdwell. Yeah, yeah, all kinds of. They helped ton of riders, so they gave me a couple bikes, and I think I went to a local um, Kenworthy's race and and won it. And they're like, "Hey, you want to ride for us?" I'm like, "Sweet, that that sounds good." And so <laughs> they hooked me up with a whole bunch of good stuff, and then so I raced uh, 95. Like I think I raced about maybe half the year, and and then I. I broke my wrist twice, and then uh-huh. I was doing supercross. I was doing the double duty. I was telling JT about this a while back. Like we're like back then, like everybody would you get off at one twenty five on a heat race and jump on your two fifty. Yeah. Well, he did that for a little bit. Race. Yeah, he did that for a little bit too. Yeah, and that was brutal. You know, like just back to back to back, and you know, and and I was just having broke my wrist. I was just scared, like over jumping everything, and if I, if I, I was just scared to case anything because I don't want to break my wrist again. So I was like, well, I guess. And I'm kind of sick of this, so like being being scared and, and riding like hurt <laughs> yeah. like that. So yeah. that was it. Tapped out. And yeah, it's crazy when you look at your results for two years. You had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, like eight top tens out one in out indoors and out out of uh, I don't know. I can't count in front of me. You had eight top tens out of maybe thirty races. Let's say. And then that was it. Like your top ten to races entered must, ratio must be pretty high, Spangler. Like again, this is <laughs> this is stuff I would all work out if it, if I was you, and I would put it on my business card. <laughs> um, yeah, it's crazy. Like national number forty one, you're like, ah, I'm done. Can't get bikes. Can't get nothing. Not worth it. Yeah. You know? Funny part yeah. is, I ended up like that when I got that seventeenth at Troy. Yeah. Um, I ended up getting national number ninety for nineteen ninety five too. So I actually had a two digit. Yeah. Jeez. For 95. So that right. was kind of funny off of one race. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, man. It's a different time, no doubt. Uh, MotorcycleSuperstore.com, RacerX Podcast with uh, WPS Fly Racing's Dale Spangler. Use the code PB-PULP16 when you're checking out. And also presented by Fox Racing, Foxhead.com. Are you aware of Fox, Dale? you know that company or no? I've never heard of them, man. No, they're small. Small up and coming. <laughs> um, so, uh, and Antelac, how was Antelac to deal with uh, NB as, uh, you know, obviously he owned Tough Racing for a long time, and he, he had some good teams. How was Dave? Yeah, Dave always treated me really fair. I mean, we, we uh, I mean, I think we had a couple situations where, like, maybe we didn't get along a few mm-hmm. times, you know, but beyond that, like, he's always, I'm still friends with him, you know, like, we've, shoot, I think we've, when I worked at Promoto Billet for a little while out here, I actually forgot about that that industry job. So I, oh, I worked yeah. here here in Boise. I did, worked for them for a little while. Like we ended up dealing with him to build their their first set of like kind of shield handguards. Like Dave hooked us up with all the yep. UFO stuff to use. And so yeah, he's he's I, I like that. I mean, the guy's passionate about. it. I mean, he's still around with the team, and so he's just one of those guys. It seems like yeah, they I mean, have a he's probably not making a lot of money off of it. He's just doing it because he loves it, right? Now, uh, when's the last time you ride moto, or do you ride with moto at all? No, I haven't ridden moto for probably four or five years now, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm just, you know, I'm out of shape and a little <laughs> overweight, so it's like, I'm uh, a little scared to get on a bike because I know, like, in the back of my mind, I'll think I can still <laughs> ride like I used to. Take and, you back to 89 and you try something dumb? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'll be just, like, trying to huck something with arm pump and, you know, just... <laughs> It's a um, lot of mass hitting the ground when you're a little overweight, you know. Yeah, so I, just kinda... yeah. I hear you. I, I'm in the same boat. I crashed. Uh, I had a bike. Last time I had a bike, 
Yeah, three, four years ago, I had a Cowie 450, and I took a pretty big digger, and I was just like, I can't do this. I don't want to do this anymore. Went right over the bars, landed on my head, broke my visor, and I'm just like, this is uh, this is not fun. Uh, this sucks. So yeah, I have a, I have a lot of times I I kid people that I, there's the, all the people around me since I'm I'm surrounded by people that ride all the time. I said that but they they want me to ride more than I want to ride, you know, because they're like, why? Well, how come you don't want to ride? Like you raced all this all these years and raced pro, and you don't want to ride? And I'm just like, well, I'm just you know, it's just where I'm at, you know. Like it doesn't. I'm still a super fan. Like I watch every single yep. bit of motocross or any kind of dirt bike, you know, or two-wheel racing in general like that i'm just a, a fan of it you know like i always follow it i follow the racers and like the whole scene so it's i don't think that will ever go away with me it's just you, you not just necessarily feel like i have to be out there doing it myself. honestly anybody who gets on you at work including jt who had a fantastic career you just go yeah well once you get third in a moto it's all downhill you know <laughs> and then you just drop your drop your mic and walk out you know once you get third yeah. in a moto not really the same anymore <laughs> Can't really, you know, the high has been the, the highest thing has been met. So, um, actually, though, you did catch a bit of a break in that Moto Spangler. I was reading the cycle news about it and didn't mention you, but Krajowski broke a wheel or something late in the I Moto. Think, I think Bradshaw actually um, smashed his pipe too. <laughs> oh, so you're gonna give yourself even less credit? <laughs> I don't yeah, remember about that. I mean, I- Probably would have been fifth otherwise, but yeah, no, they did say Krodowski <laughs> dropped out late with a broken wheel or broken something. But anyways, it doesn't matter. Who cares, Spangler? You got third. Um, yeah, I'll take it. So uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, marketing job at WPS. Um, when it comes to magazine ads, of course, you know, fly racing big part of everything we do at Pulp and and, and everything else, and it's awesome. And we got some exciting news to talk about for seventeen. But um, <laughs> um, when you are you the guy that says, hey, let's do an ad with this guy, I want to do this, or does somebody come to you and say, we're doing this, what do you think? Like, How involved are you in the magazine ad sort of world and, and placement and who you want to promote and what gear and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so so really my position is, it's hard to really kind of put put like an actual title on it because I do a lot of different things, but... You know, primarily, I, I I call myself a marketing content manager and also advertising and media relations. And so, again, I say it's kind of a mouthful, but I'm not actually a director, by the way. Like, I think you actually said that. Did I say that? No, just, just, just run, to clarify, just I'm run not with the it. marketing director. <laughs> run with it. No, we're all pretty, uh, you know, like on equal footing here, That's which is kind of cool. There's not like, you know, an overarching person that's kind of like the boss, I guess, mm-hmm. in our department, at least right now, you know. But it's – so everybody kind of has equal say, but, but – on advertising, yeah, I manage all the the media buys and 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 you know decide in most cases do all the legwork, figure out where we want to be with you know spending money and as far as advertising, mm-hmm. and whether it's digital or print or video, any type of stuff like that, and then uh, work with our graphics guys on you know the copy that goes on the content and um, just concepts of what we want to do with the yeah. brand and it's a little bit of everything, huh? And then turn them in. Yeah, I got to make sure they get turned in and make sure the invoices get to the county department so they get paid. And um, yeah, what? I mean, that's that's one facet. How do you determine? And this is something I've talked to a bunch of people in our industry about. How do you determine print versus online versus these janky podcast shows or whatever? Like, it's it's a weird world we're we're in now, aren't we? And you almost have to do print. 
but print is dying a little bit with everybody. The online guys are getting big, but then, like, I feel like on my end, Dale, like, banners, people have, have ad blockers, you know, banner blockers or whatever, and now banners are almost passe. And as fly, as WPS, you want to keep your finger on the tip of what's next and what's working and what's not. Uh, it's difficult, though. It's not the old days of, yeah, we'll take, uh, we'll take six full-page ads in the next year, and uh, see you later. Yeah, well, one thing that to consider is we don't really have the same pressure as say like a even like a motorcycle superstore or something like that. Like those guys are retailers, and so mm-hmm. those guys are going to monitor every single click through on a banner, like it, it, basically conversions into sales. Yep. We don't really have that pressure with us being a distributor selling to dealers. I mean, we're more about just brand building. So, yep. so when we put banners out there. We're not expecting to put a certain amount of sales on the click through on that because we're we're not worried about that, you know, like that's what our dealers do for us. And so we're really just trying to build the brand the best that we can and hopefully build a, a tribe of, you know, followers around the fly racing brand. And so, you know, we're just trying to get people to like us as a company and as a brand and want to want to buy our products because they're they're into what we stand for, I guess. And so to, to answer your question, though, like that, I mean, we, we we pretty much just kind of balance it right now. We 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 do quite a bit of digital, but we also do quite a bit of print. Um, you're right, though. I mean, print print. Yeah, it's just how does, a big you know, question mark, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's just how do you determine that, right? Like it's it's a it's you're right. Superstore dudes and these guys have to worry about it way more than you. But it's still something that you guys have to think about and be like, what's next? How can we get? Obviously, social is huge. You know, Instagram, Twitter. I yeah, notice my social is huge. I notice my Instagram a lot of yeah. um, um, what's called the native ads. So I think that's going to be like one of my favorite sites to go to is Vice dot com. I yeah. just think that they're kill they're they're completely killing it right now, kind of changing the whole media landscape. And mm-hmm. and you go to their sites and they they just build native content into their into their content. Like they don't try and trick the you know, the person on the site, they just, they make it obvious that this is an advertisement, but it's actually a useful advertisement. It's not just some blatant banner that's right. you know, smacking you in the face and annoying you. It's actually something where like, if you click in, you, you might get something out of it, whether you're educating yourself or you watch a video or you get some kind of a code to buy something, you know, it's, it's actually kind of useful. And so I, I kind of see that happening, but it's a lot more labor intensive to build something like that, obviously, to build an ad where you try to generate the content and write editorial and, you know, it's it's a completely different realm. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a different little bit different world nowadays. And I, I notice my Instagram followers are surpassing Twitter followers. You know, my total hasn't, but I'm gaining more Instagram followers than I gain Twitter followers. That seems to be, and of course there's Snapchat and everything else. But geez, it's like how how yeah, you know. How do you know what's it's next? Hard to, yeah, it's hard to keep up on that, too. Like, the social side is just ever-evolving into and to the point where, like, to, to, to figure out which one's worth putting effort into, I mean, that, that seems yeah. to be the key because, like you said, Instagram, there's no guarantee. It's owned by Facebook. Like, what's to say that all of a sudden they're just going to do the same thing they did to Facebook where, like, pay-to-play is the only way you get your posts to show up now on Facebook. And so, Oh, is it? I don't even – I'm not a Facebook guy. I got a pulp Facebook, but I don't do much with yeah. it. Yeah. So, so Facebook owns Instagram, and I have a feeling that that's going to change – it's going to slowly kind of migrate over to where if you want your post to show up in front of all of your followers, you're going to probably have to pay for it. You know I mean? That's just the way it is. Yeah. Know, in the – they're in the business to make money off of what they built, and so it's, sure. I mean, yeah, it's, it's free for us, you know, as a brand. So it's like we can't really complain, I guess, in the big picture. Yeah, it's a it's a different world, no doubt about it. Um, and it is a different world when you get third at a national moto and then you quit the next year. That is also <laughs> a different world, and one that I'm <laughs> bummed that you were in Spangler. You needed to be you need to be about six years later than what you were 
and you would have had a yeah. Honda, you would have had a Honda Troy ride or something like that. You know what I mean? Who knows? Like even I just yeah, I mean I, the, the last like ten years, I just see some of some of these guys like how much money they're making in like the the lights class, and I'm just thinking, shoot, man, if that would have been my time, but yeah, yeah what, what are you gonna do? Fifth, about it now. fifth place in East Rutherford, third place in a moto at Redbud. I mean, come on, you know. <laughs> But then we again, didn't even have TV then, remember? So, like, <laughs> yeah. shoot, then nobody even knew who we were. I know, but then again, I have Denny Stevenson in the studio uh, here and there, and he won a title, and he's back building decks in Nebraska. So, there's always that yep. too, right? Um, so, yeah, who knows, man? It's uh, it's a different world for sure. And I feel bad for a lot of you guys back in the day who, you know, I watched and followed as a kid, and you're a little bit older than I am, I think, but we're close to the same age. And, uh, and then you see these guys, and you're just like, man, you were so good on a dirt bike, and in the end, it doesn't matter. But goddamn, you guys were so fast. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's just a different, different world, man. Different time. So. Yeah, you know, I, I still wouldn't. You know, I've been been around this my whole life now. Yeah. You know? So yeah. it's it's hard to imagine, you know, doing anything else because, like, I can't imagine. You know, I've told people this before. I'm like, I, I can't imagine like marketing potatoes. You know, like we have all right here. Right? Man, I don't, <laughs> yeah, sure. Can right. you imagine doing marketing for potatoes or like microchips? We have Micron here. You know, where yep, like, yep. that just doesn't even seem like it would be fun at all. No. You know, like we get to, I get to write about, talk about, post things on websites about dirt bikes. You know, I mean, it's yeah. pretty pretty fun. So I feel pretty lucky in that. You know, that I was able to make something outside of the racing part of it and continue in the industry. And uh, I know a lot of guys end up doing that, but it's. Uh, no, you're yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. No, you're right. Um, yeah, it, 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 you're right. And, and even for me, a kid from Canada, I make my living going to all over the world to watch motorcycle races and report on it. And before that, I was a mechanic. And it's like, how lucky am I? You know, it's crazy when you think about yep. it. Like, it's just, yeah, it's all perspective, yeah. I guess. So, um, may not be rich, but hey, yeah. whatever. That's, that doesn't really matter that much to me anyway. So. Spangler, we're rich in experiences. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Try to pay our mortgages with that. Um, <laughs> thanks, man. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. MotorcycleSuperstore.com, RacerX Podcast with WPS, Fly Racing's Dale Spangler. Um, I don't care what you think, Spangler. Third in the moto is gnarly. I would, I would put that on your business card. I would put a little, um, maybe a little plaque above your, your cubicle there at WPS. I'd do something. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on, man. This was fun. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for the trip down memory lane for sure, and uh, I'm, I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, man. Thank you. All right. See you. Thanks for listening to the Steve Mathis Show presented by Fox Racing. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. it was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Storbeck because that he never said sorry. Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunas. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart. There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. Dave Arnold. And, and McGill was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right, and, right. and he's got the thing, he's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jumped farther if that tree hadn't have been, you know, yeah. if, if it hadn't have been there. The Hurricane, Bob Hanna.
I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think yeah. he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern day guys in Switzerland or Holland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? Right. They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home. And once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, like beating a dead horse, I mean, you know, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Pro Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I pulled pick and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny O'Mara. Stuff that you could, you'd sit there if you didn't even want to ride it, you just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in, I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes Store to enjoy these and over 800 great motocross podcasts. As the days and the months 